0: For more unholy content from our friends, head to irreverent.fm.
1: Hey friends, welcome to the Speaking in Church podcast. I'm Josie and I got a good one for you today. Um, We are joined by our new friend Hallie Carbree. Carbree, yes. Okay, I got it. Yes, you got it. (laughs) um she is a licensed therapist and coach so she has like the credentials and she's (laughs) also a cult survivor which i am oh my god i love cults not in a good way in a deeply unhealthy way
0: (laughs) (laughs) welcome how are you doing welcome thank you for having me i'm so excited to be here um Thank you. Yeah, this is this is just like so my jam right now. So it's exciting just to get to talk about it with people who are also interested. So thank yeah. you for having me.
1: I'm so excited. Um, Hardly ever get therapists on here. Mm. I don't know why. I think it's probably <laughs> I'm not professional enough for a lot of people. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. I don't pretend to be. But Ugh, a professional. professional
0: is icky. We don't. Who cares? We don't I want know. that anyway. I feel that. Well, let's
1: start off. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your story, about your life, your
0: testimony? Sure. Yeah. And so as I was sort of thinking about like what to say, how to prepare for this, it's like, oh my gosh, where do you even start when you talk about your life story? You know? know. (laughs) So I think, you know, there's kind of two ways. It's like, do we start at the beginning or do I talk about where I'm at right now? I think to give some helpful context, where I'm at right now, and then I'll jump back to the beginning, is I have very recently kind of deconstructed. So like eight, about eight months ago, um, I kind of pulled on a thread of a sweater, so to speak, in terms of questioning my faith and the whole freaking thing unraveled. Um, And it has been Uh, disorienting and confusing and also incredibly clarifying Mm. and so helpful for me to have exited this rigid fundamentalist belief system that I have been a part of since I was literally born Um, and so it has been simultaneously the best and worst time of my whole life Um, and it's affected my personal relationships. It's affected my professional relationships a little bit as well. Um, but I am like so free and that is worth it. Um, so yeah. So a little bit about me, uh, currently professionally is, yeah, I've been a therapist since I graduated from seminary where I went to grad school um since I graduated in 2016 was seeing clients in my master's program as well so I guess you could say I've been a therapist for longer than that and um then I had three of my my own kiddos so I've got an eight-year-old a six-year-old a four-year-old and full
1: hands full hands oh
0: girl (laughs) you are not kidding (laughs) Um, yeah, they are. They're a lot. I love them so much, but like, my goodness, they are a lot. <laughs> yeah. uh, a lot of personalities. Sometimes I'm like, oh, that is me right there. Yep. Like, coming back full force. Yep. Like, I see you. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's fun. It's a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, I've been practicing. And then in 2018, I was working a lot with couples. And was really realizing that so many couples, like literally everyone is struggling in some way in, in their sexual or intimate life. Mm. And so I went um and got level one and level two certificates in um, assessing and treating sex issues and psychotherapy through the Institute for Relational Intimacy, which I'm just going to give a shout out to them real quick Hell because yeah. Martha Copy, the... um the founder of that institute is legit. She is so cool. She writes articles. She's got a great blog. Um, and so for anyone who's looking into things like polyamory or just understanding sexual issues at all, she is your girl. Yeah. So um was really glad to have gotten that education and then been able to work with that in my own practice Um, But as I have deconstructed over the past eight months, I've realized like, oh my goodness, fundamentalist Christianity does a freaking number on our sexual, on our sexuality. It's insane. (laughs) I mean, the shame, the, the all, I mean, like that's a whole conversation, in and of itself, which we can definitely get to, but I have now sort of made it my mission to speak directly to that. Like we are going to release that shame from mm-hmm. sexuality and we are going to thrive in our sex lives amen, amen, amen. Uh, without shame. <laughs> So, yeah, so that's where I'm at right now, and I'm sort of currently mid-launch in terms of a coaching program that does that. Mm-hmm. Um, really excited to work with people who, from all walks of life, but especially people who have shared a similar story to me, you know, been really impacted in some way, shape, or form by purity culture or the shame narratives around sex um, in, in their own rigid religiosity, whatever that looked like for them. Yeah. So that's that's what I'm doing now, and that's sort of where I'm currently at. But in terms of my background, my past, as you mentioned, I yeah. call myself a cult survivor because I really am. Yeah. Um, I was. My parents were in a cult called, and they didn't call it a cult. Of course, no cult calls themselves a cult. Yeah. Um, but they were in a cult. They got into this cult in their twenties called the Lord's Recovery. And yeah, it's like hard to know how much background to give about this because it's a whole story. Yeah. Um, but it is a cult that was essentially planted in the US by uh, Chinese missionaries. Mm-hmm. And um, there there's a lot of history, a lot of background there. But essentially, I was born into this cult that is high demand, high control, um, spiritual abuse aplenty, and you know the fear narratives, the shame narratives were very prevalent, very strong. So from a young child, I was taught to fear my own thoughts, to be very wary of of my own feelings, of my own intuition. My self trust was sort of systematically dismantled. Mm. Um, And that, I mean, that's an important hallmark of most cults, because if you begin to be aware of your body sensations and your intuition telling you something's not right about this, um, then of course you make it out. And so the shame and the fear tactics are incredibly effective and also incredibly damaging. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, the rhetoric, was we've got the highest truth. We've got the best revelation. There was a narcissistic, charismatic leader to this group. And, you know, I've said the name of the group. We can talk more in depth about it, or y'all can just Google it. But um, there's really a narcissistic, charismatic leader who we revered as being the minister of the age. That was his title.
1: Oh, that's a that's a new one okay
0: yeah yeah I know it's like (laughs) it's like Hunger Games-esque um but it's it was really true we regarded every word that came out of his mouth as being like almost more than biblical um yeah yeah
1: (laughs) red flag red flag
0: oh my gosh yes (laughs) and there was i mean there were the typical things that you think of in like a high demand high control cult environment there was public humiliation um there you could not say anything against the leader and therefore whoever the the big leader the, the you know the narcissistic leader whoever he appointed in like the local churches which are all around the US um they are in Africa they're in Asia Um, a little bit in Europe, not so much, they're in Canada, but this is an international organization and there have been splits in the group, you know, people saying you can only read uh, this leader's texts or, oh no, I think you can read others, so you're wrong. There have been various splits, but essentially um, it is an organization of churches who seem very benign.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah and are actually incredibly harmful
1: yeah this kind of reminds me of in latin america there's the la luz del mundo oh it's in english the light of the world Mm. or whatever which is pretty similar Mm. they have that the charismatic well now it's a family which is even more of a red flag it passes down to the sun so I'm like all right well okay
0: right right yikes nepotism and all that
1: so what was a little bit of like the where did this guy get this idea from? Like, what's a little bit of the origin story?
0: Yeah, so I mean, I, yeah, I can go, I can go more into detail about the the cult itself. There, it was somewhat originated from the the blended brethren or blended brothers. I'm not sure about the exact terminology. And then from from there, from what I understand, uh, there was a man by the name of Watchman Nee. Who he has two books that are in more like mainstream Christian publications. It's, I think it's called The Normal Christian Life and The Normal Christian Church. So he, I would argue, was like less problematic than his successor, who is um, Witness Lee. Um, and then sort of kind of there was a split where there's another successor whose name is Titus Chu. They're all these like older Chinese men mm-hmm. and uh, the Chinese culture has sort of permeated this group of churches in in sometimes a really beautiful way mm-hmm. and other times um, a, a challenging way, mm-hmm. um, you know, sort of strict adherence to authority and, and things like that really sort of integrated with religiosity to cause a cult environment to thrive really well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Watchman Nee wrote a lot. He's he preached a lot. He was sort of a like revivalist, if you will, of in, in Christian circles. He moved to California from China. I don't know all of his history, but I know that eventually the Chinese government arrested him and he li- He lived the last, like, 20 years of his life in a communist prison and died there. Oh, shit. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that yeah. makes
1: sense, religion, I guess, but.
0: Right. So that was his story. I think it was a little bit of, like, a martyr mentality right. where people were kind of like, oh, this man is kind of like the Apostle Paul mm-hmm. um, in the Bible. Um, where he would write write letters from prison, sort of thing. So that was, and then Witness Lee in Watchmany's absence sort of stepped up to be the next leader. And uh Witness Lee had some really wild ideology, which people in the group think is very biblical. Mm-hmm. But I mean, let's be honest, like the Bible has some wild ideology um you know we're meant to like die to ourselves (laughs) and you know the god of the old testament is like pretty crazy um i was literally just reading just offhand the other day i haven't touched the bible in a while but for some reason i the curiosity got the better of me there's this place i think in leviticus like 26 where it talks about all the ways that god will kill your children if you're not obedient to him cute 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 cute, cute vibes (laughs) That's a nice that's a nice guy right there. Um and so, you know, it's kind of no wonder that we see these really unhealthy, high control, high demand men who emerge as leaders. We've seen this all over the place in Christianity, whether it's Mark Driscoll, whether it's Robbie Zacharias now. um, Mm -hmm. I mean, he's passed now, but what came to light before his passing, these really unhealthy, power-hungry, control-via-fear kind of men emerge as leaders because essentially that's how God, the God of the Bible is too.
1: Mm -hmm. Um,
0: So yeah, and then... A lot of the kind of ideology that we were handed down was like yourself, you know, your yourself as an entity is like demonic and evil and bad and untrustworthy. Yeah, it's right? I mean, and as a therapist. The typical, yeah. yeah, oh, they took it to the next level. Like I was thinking the other day how there's this song in mainstream, mainstream Christianity that is the line and you sing this over and over and over again almost to like program yourself to believe it is like if more of you means less of me take everything I'm not sure if you're familiar with that song but it's this like really kind of powerful powerful ballad type song and um it's so interesting, you know, being a therapist, thinking about like abuse and control dynamics. Cause I'm like, mm. gosh, that sounds like an abusive relationship yep. right there. <laughs> um, but the cult that I was raised in really did take that to the next level. It was like, we were supposed to be as, as individual entities, we were supposed to be completely annihilated. And the only thing left was sort of God's virtues and his character and his Holy spirit Um, and you know, they say it in kind of like a, a nice way, but ultimately the message of something, even as, even as mainstream as if more of you means less of me, take everything. The message there is like, you're a piece of shit. Yeah. (laughs) And like, you gotta get, you gotta be decreased. I mean, there's literally a verse in the Bible that says he must I must decrease he must increase mm-hmm. so we are bad we're evil we we're untrustworthy all of that and so I you know only eight months into this kind of like deconstruction process I'm really still healing mm-hmm. from all of this um and I'm really I'm really still in process so we're, we're just a hot mess over here but it's all good it's uh, okay. That lasts it's okay to long. be
1: a It lasts a little long, <laughs> so it's okay. We're all hot messes still, but I mean, congratulations on making it out. Wow. I mean, yeah. it's thank you. Yeah, it's rough. Um, it's funny. Yeah. I love that you're a therapist because um, I'm gonna look for validation. I'm just kidding. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I got you. I got you.
1: <laughs> but I, uh, so I started going to therapy when I was little, like seven years old, and. Wow. Um, I'm not gonna toot my own horn, but I think I'm just like a very decisive person. I'm an eight mm. on the Enneagram scale. So like I mm-hmm. just make decisions. Yeah. And I remember going to therapy and doing like CBT and like trying to hold my thoughts captive. And if you uh, use a Christian,
0: thing. Mm.
1: just like getting rid of intrusive thoughts kind of. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is totally different. But, <laughs> and then going to this church where There was one guy that was the boss and it was all these things that were like hypocritical like in my culture it was don't trust men don't be alone with men and the Mm. church is a similar thing but it's like you're gonna attempt and it was like okay all right sounds good i'll take that to heart and be like i'm just gonna trust nobody that guy in the front sketchy you know like as much as any other person right or this whole like we're all pieces of shit we're all sinners all right so was the guy in front like yeah kind of the great equalizer and so I feel like my deconstruction started really young like yeah I the last episode I recorded it dawned on me it's like oh I left my parents church when I was like 13 or 14 because I was so
0: early so early it honestly just sounds like you were like too good of a critical thinker to be uh tricked by religion
1: right and i do like think that it's because of therapy because you're learning all these Mm. and for me it was my family and i was trying to learn how to cope with all that and the religion wasn't really the issue per se but it was definitely part of it and then like it's to me it's always been interesting how therapy has always been the antithesis to these high control religions yes do you find that that's like kind of your journey as well
0: yes in like so many ways um and it's like there's so many thoughts coming into my mind I mean one thing is I you know I still have some some Christian clients Mm -hmm. because I've been working with people for years and you know now when I hear them say things like Oh well, I can't take credit for that. That was just God. I wouldn't wouldn't have been able to do that without him. I'm like, what? Girl, that was you. That was (laughs) you. Like, let's not, we don't need to give like false honor to this deity who, like, we don't know what the fuck he's really up to. Exactly. Like, let's not take away your own power and your own agency and the way that you pulled yourself up out of that mess and were so courageous and blah, blah, blah. So yeah, being what I call like a person- person-centered therapist mm-hmm. um it just there was so much cognitive dissonance in my work as a therapist who believes in the goodness of people mm-hmm. and believes in the bravery and resilience and strength of people and believes in the idea that we can reparent ourselves to heal these these wounds that yeah. are there and believes that we need to be embodied in our sexuality, embodied in our, in our living and not disconnected from our bodies, Mm -hmm. Um, which religion also, um, at least fundamentalist religion really does a good job at uh, creating and maintaining that disconnection from us and our bodies, our intuition, ourselves. So yes, to answer your question, I think that that is so true, that therapy really does bring to light the unhealthiness that is in fundamentalist religion.
1: Yeah. And I think this is why I'm such a huge advocate for therapy because even like I didn't do when my partner and I got married, we still attend church, but it's like a, it's a very progressive church. It's kind of yeah a liberal mess, but I love it. Um, <laughs> and I kind of run it. So, you know, I make the rules. <laughs> just kidding. Yes. <laughs> not there a you pastor go. Or anything, but I just do the administrative work. <laughs>
0: pretty much pretty much the same thing you run it <laughs> exactly exactly um, that's awesome
1: but i was like i'm not doing premarital counseling because everybody would ask me like oh who are you doing your premarital counseling with and i was like fuck that you want me somebody who's gone to therapy for my whole life to go to a non-licensed therapist for a premarital counseling i don't <laughs> fucking think so all right <laughs> so my partner and i just started going to couples therapy because you know i was like i'm a bitch I'm an asshole. We got to get ahead of this because
0: you're gonna you're gonna hate me. Like, <laughs> oh my gosh, the honesty, the, the self, the self awareness, right? It's incredible.
1: I love that you recognize that as self awareness because some people are like Josie, you're not a bitch, and I was like, no, it's fine. I understand that I'm in a good way. I'm a bitch. I'm, I'm stubborn. I'm a brat. Like, I know what I am. All right, it's fine. It's fine. Um and like so let's just navigate this yeah. together and uh, like my partner and I, I like from the get-go I was like I'm not gonna have any shame around sex like I went through my hoe phase mm-hmm. he's turns out he's really kinky mm-hmm. and I'm really not and I'm just like great now I have to deal with this for the rest of my life but it's fun it's great um <laughs> I think it's so interesting that you dived after your deconstruct and dived into sex immediately I think that shows like so Mm. much that you were kind of in process for a long time whether you recognized it or not like you were seeing the red flags you know because most people don't really dive that deep into sex especially helping other people with
0: sex right Yes, I don't think that that is typically the first thing that people go to <laughs> yeah. when they deconstruct. I don't think they're like, you know, I'm having some doubts about God, and also, what the heck is with all this sexual shame? <laughs> um, you know, I don't think that's typically the go-to, but that's exactly that's what I work with day in and day out. And I had really seen, you know, had a front-row seat in my own life and in my clients' lives who were so just fucked by purity culture Mm -hmm. and, you know, people who can't tolerate um, even non-sexual touch because Mm -hmm. essentially what you're told is like, sex is dirty, sex is bad, sex is dangerous, all these things until you get married and then it's great. And then you can just have a thriving sex life. Like you just flip a switch (laughs) and everything's good to go. Mm -hmm. And I I use this analogy and the analogy isn't perfect, but like, if you're told for your whole life that going outside is dangerous and bad and scary, and you can get really dirty and there's threats and there's just bad things happen to you when you go outside. But once you get married, then it's safe to go outside. Yeah. Like then the sun isn't going to burn you. Then a car is not going to hit you. Then, you know, it's like, no, these fears, these feelings have been so programmed into us. No one can just flip a switch. And so in my work with, with my clients, we sort of approach things from a holistic sense. And this is why it was so important to me after my deconstruction to really dive in and dive in and understand this more fully. Um, So we look at like, what is your body experiencing? You know, like what are, what can we, what information can we gather from your body? What is the feeling of shame, like in a bodily sensation kind of way and helping people to practice embodiment, being connected to their bodies. So many people dissociate during sex without even realizing it, um, Yeah. And so that can, that body connection is so important, but we also look at like, what are the emotions that are there for you around sex? And also what are the meta emotions? Like, what do you, do you think that it's right to feel dirty and gross after you experience an orgasm? Um, and, and what do you make of your feelings of shame? Some people think I should still feel this way because sex is still bad. Sex, Mm -hmm. sex is dirty or at least sex for pleasure. Um, And pleasure is dirty and bad and gross. And so the fact that I'm feeling shame after I've experienced an orgasm, for example, is actually good. So the meta emotion is something we have to look at as well. What do you feel and think about your feelings? Mm. And then cognitively, and in terms of the beliefs that we have, we've got to go back and look at like, what are the actual messages that we've received? about sex and sexuality and pleasure this is a big one like mm-hmm. we are our, our um value of pleasure in in a fundamentalist uh worldview is so demonized and especially for me in the cult it was like any form of pleasure not just sexual pleasure but to enjoy food too much was evil to enjoy going to like a sp- like a sporting event was like evil. Cause you're enjoying the world. Um, and which is just so interesting. So, so those beliefs that get stuck in our psyches, we've got to examine them. We've got to call them out. We've got to look at like, who even told this to me and are they a valued source of information? And, oftentimes the lack of communication or lack of messaging I mean there was lots of implied messaging but let's say you had a family who literally never once talked about sex well that's a message about sex in and of itself yeah Um, my parents
1: never gave me the talk I learned about that in middle school when my friends started having sex and I was like oh my god what is happening right now
0: oh totally and and then having no former like frameworks mm-hmm. or information about it you're like what is this i know luckily i think happening? i had already
1: watched the had the seventh grade science class where you have uh, yeah. a live birth and i'm like ah um <laughs> and honestly i think it made me a little bit more empathetic i'm just like well this person's not bad they just had sex it's weird i feel like you're too young but okay whatever, yeah 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 but it, there's a lot there this concept of pleasure is mm. I mean, it's so funny because I feel like my extended and immediate family demonizes me constantly for me being kind of obsessed with living a happy life or a pleasure filled life. Yeah, like, I love to travel. I like to eat good. I like to uh, I married a guy who is a chef, so I didn't have to eat stupid ass meals for the rest of my Ugh. life. lucky <laughs> bitch. Okay, know, For real. <laughs> <laughs> It's my greatest (laughs) accomplishment in life. Just kidding. Um, That's amazing. (laughs) I like crafts and hobbies and I, I like live my life in a way to be happy. And a lot of it is Mm. like, I am, I mean, I'm chronically disabled and Mm. I had a terrible childhood and blah, 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 blah. and I'm like, life is too short bitches. Like
0: let's live it up. How dare you want to be happy Mm. in this one life that you get? Mm. Like what, how the audacity. I
1: remember even like when I was in college and still doing mission work, which is cringy still. But uh, <laughs> my, I get it. I get my it. family in Mexico, who are like more religious than we are here in America, were like, Yeah, why do you have to travel to go do mission work? Like, why are you like Why do you need it? And I was like, Bitch, I'm gonna go work. Like, I'm not gonna go woo have fun. I mean, I did because yeah. I mean that's the nature of who I am. But right, it was like this weird concept of like. In my grandma's religion, she's like an apostolic Pentecostal woman, mm. which is fundamental fun. in a different way. Yeah, it's so fun. She can't wear pants. Mm-hmm. She can't wear makeup. She can't cut her hair. She can't drink, do anything.
0: So it's just like I mean, she would really be tempting all the old men. She she has to wear that long skirt. That's, yeah. that's just considerate of her. And I'm like,
1: girl, life is so... All she does is like sit in the village and visit her kids sometimes. But I'm like, I mean, yeah. I don't think that God made you, especially you as a woman with a clitoris, to live life without pleasure of any kind, you know? Right.
0: And I, that is something that I'll tell my clients. I'm like the sole function of the clitoris is pleasure.
1: Mm-hmm. No there is no
0: other it. function. Yep. There is no other function. And it's like yeah, I mean depending on your views your your understanding and beliefs about God, but yeah, the the sole purpose of the clitoris is pleasure and yet we are not meant to experience it. Mm-hmm. Sex is just for procreation and how dare we want to experience pleasure and be happy in this life? that's that's just not it's just so against fundamentalist religion and that's so sad to me so sad to me it's like misery and suffering is is upheld you are meant to persist in suffering as opposed to seek your own joy and happiness and pleasure
1: hmm. It's not like and even in the Bible that they claim to read joy is a huge part of your relationship with this God that you claim to believe in. So yeah, the cognitive dissonance is never, never really worked for me. Yeah, but um, what are some of the weirder aspects of your cult? that you grew up mm. in. Like, what are the oh weirdness? my goodness
0: <laughs> that is like such a good question and I like almost cringe even like talking about the weirdness of it um so here we go here we go putting on my my my, my big little <laughs> panties for this um so there is an emphasis on uh praying out loud and that praying out loud, I think this is somewhat of the Chinese culture, sort of being interlaced with the religious culture. Mm-hmm. But after every line of prayer, people are meant in the room to shout amen. They believe that amen is like, uh, basically saying like, I agree, which I think is actually the the definition mm-hmm. of the word, I believe. Um, and so it's sort of like, thank you, God, for today. Shouts of amen. Um, you know, thank you for, you know, us being together. Shouts of amen. And so when you walk in off the street to a church that you just think is like this benign thing and you're hearing <laughs> shouting, like actual yelling, and people will also like pray in the to- at the top of their lungs. Um, and I know that like in other circles, um, you know, sort of charismatic manifestations are common, but the specifics of praying in an extremely loud voice and also the sort of, I guess you could say call and response of like, I pray, then you shout amen in my face. Um, and what was funny is people would actually amen themselves. That always cracked me up as a kid. It was like, thank you God for today. Amen. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, But let's see some of the other weirder things. Um, we, a lot of us would, this, this happened, I think actually more so before I was born. Um, I was born in 90. So just to give you a bit of context there, but people would Burn, there would be ritual burnings not of people
1: uh, <laughs> um, but um,
0: <laughs> there would be ritual burnings of like your favorite CDs or even your like people's wedding albums oh, yeah, or yeah, what? yes because in you...
1: secularness
0: not even that it's sort of like you were not supposed to be tied to the world in ah! any kind of way and so fuck? even like, I know, I know. And so even like enjoying your wedding photos too much, you had to like repent of that. And you had to, you know, pay penance for that. Essentially you had to burn it. Oh um, so that was definitely a weird thing. I mean, I have people that I that I know who, who did this and who still consider it kind of like this powerful spiritual moment. Like I burned my TV because oh, no. it was usurping too much of my time and attention and, and all that. So yeah, the people who are in the cult are incredibly die hard for it. And uh, they will, they will fight you on your, if you leave. That was of course, another aspect of the cult is that there was so much shame that happened um, to the people that left and there was disconnection, much like you would see in something like te- Scientology. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we didn't sort of identify people as suppressed people that like Scientology does. But, uh, you know, in gatherings of like 500 to 1,000 people, these people were called out by name. Oh, God. And... And, you know, over and over and over again through the years, and they would be called like, they were ambitious, they were selfish, they were worldly, and that's why they left. Not that there could have been anything wrong with the cult.
1: Right, of course. Um,
0: No, no, no. But so that really prevented a lot of people from taking a closer look and listening to their intuition and going wait a second, like something's wrong here. Why do we only listen to this one guy? Yeah. Why do we only read his material? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, why do we gather 10 times a year? Um, like, why are we missing Thanksgiving with our extended family to attend a conference? That was probably one of the, also, also the more weird aspects of the call is like the emphasis on gathering together was intense. Like the um, Mormons. So- like the
1: Mormons do it once a year. <laughs>
0: Yes, but it was exactly like that, but like multiple times a year. And you were expected to travel. You were expected to pay the expenses of travel. You were expected to miss out on holidays to attend these church gatherings. And you were ascribed spirituality for abandoning your family. Um, The more spiritual you were, the more you would abandon your family. And if you had a family or a wife who was uh, complaining about how much you were gone, well, she wasn't very spiritual. That that was a problem with her. Um, And actually, this is a part of my personal story. Um, I was married for 10 years to a man who was what they call a full-timer. in the group like he was in full-time service to God (sighs) and uh what that looked like was complete abandonment of of me and our children as I raised them and I remember just being spiritually bypassed gaslit all of that like I I was like oh my gosh like it's so hard for me to put our our two-year-old and our baby to bed at the same time I really need help and it was like you're not relying on God enough oh my god I was like I was like, God is not down here changing this shitty diaper, so yeah. I need some boots on the ground kind of help. I'm <laughs> <not> talking about <laughs> For real. So yeah, so that's um, that's another thing about the cult is that there it in a lot of churches the emphasis is on marriage and family, mm-hmm. and in the cults the emphasis was not. Um, you were so spiritual. And so devoted if you let your, your family and marriage suffer in the name of God. And that was sort of, he would honor you for that. I don't know how the fuck how, Mm. but that was just the message is that you would somehow be honored for that. And that's, that's the other thing that's just sort of funny to me is like the emphasis on the afterlife, Mm. you know, you might, you might not be honored in this life, but in the next life that's that's when it's all gonna it's all gonna be better um and so they're it's totally just such cool an... with
1: you divorcing your non-spiritual spouse
0: yeah oh yeah
1: that's, <laughs> that's actually really yes. interesting because in my family's church kind of vibe that's pretty similar is mm-hmm. yeah like you forsake your family for the sake of god not so much the individual church or the individual leader but yeah. Like, if it came between me, for my mom, if it came between me and God, she'd choose God every
0: time. No matter yes. how
1: innocuous it would be.
0: Right. And and it's just so sad how that creates such division in families. Like, I'm thinking of people, you know, who identify as queer, LGBTQIA. Like, the, the, the families that have chosen God, air quotes, um, have abandoned their own children. Mm-hmm. And that is just the saddest thing in the world to me. Um, but yeah, the forsaking of a family in the name of God is one of the most harmful aspects, I think, of fundamentalist religion.
1: Yeah, it's. Ugh. Ugh, yeah, I can't even. <laughs> so now you're single, living the life.
0: I am very, very newly single. Yeah. <laughs> um. Still figuring it all out, but. You know, and that's why I say this has been the best and worst time of my life, Um, because on the one hand, I am very much grieving. Um, and then on the other hand, you know, I I was with my husband since I was 15 years old. Holy
1: shit, dude.
0: Uh, yeah. And then I'm 32 now. And so really over half my life has been with this person um who I'm now recognizing as, you know, there was some harm there that was really done to me. And so I'm grappling with that. I'm processing that, Um, you know, of course my, my children are going through it as well. And so there's hard parts of it, like, don't get me wrong, but there is also like this excitement to feel free to live away a life. That's worth living to me and to not be constrained by the I- ideology anymore
1: yeah. and i just think of your kids and what a powerful example you've set for them to not take abuse in any form whether it be religious yeah. or marital or parental or whatever like yes you will always have their back and you will always want the best for them because i can't even yeah. imagine what it's like for children in that cult like it must be horrendous Oh my gosh.
0: Yes. My, um, my friend sent me a diary entry. She has also left the cult and she sent me a diary entry just the other day. And she was like, oh my gosh, like, this is what it was like for us as kids. She wrote about how she didn't want to go to church that day. And her dad basically like guilt tripped her about it. And then she she wrote all of this rhetoric as like an eight or nine-year-old. Like, I'm so gross. I'm so bad. My, my younger sister says that she wants to be like me, but I don't want her to be like me because I am a horrible, filthy sinner. Um, and I'm like, oh, like would we ever want our children in any other context to believe this about themselves? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly like you're saying, like I will not allow my children to have only one voice mm-hmm. in their world. And their, their dad is a fundamentalist Christian and he will probably die a fundamentalist Christian. Yeah. Um. And, you know, Bible shaming and and all of that, but I'm like, I will not allow that to be the only voice in their lives. Like if they're going to hear that they are worthless apart from, you know, Christ's sacrifice or their quote unquote righteousness is filthy rags and that they need to die to self and all of that, like they will have a dissenting voice. Mm -hmm. in their life and that may not always look like convincing them or arguing about things but they will know that their mom has a different belief and that she believes that they are inherently good Mm -hmm. and worthy and beautiful and valuable and that that all makes it worth it to me Yeah.
1: yeah I mean I just think back to all the voices outside of my parents that told me that I was I mean, I had some extended family members who were like, yeah, fuck your parents, they're crazy. They don't know what you're talking about. You're fine. You're fine. You're a decent yeah. person. And they yeah. still hold all of those like, little phrases in my head and I just think like, yeah. My aunt said I'm fine. I'm not great. Yeah. I'm not a weirdo. I'm not a bad Yes.
0: Person. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. I love that. I love how powerful that was. Like you had a buffer yep. to yep. some of the more harmful voices. You had one or a couple dissenting ones, dissenting voices that spoke truth to you. Yeah. And you carry that with you and use that as, as a resource throughout your life. And I, honestly, I'm experiencing sort of a similar phenomenon now where, you know, a lot of people in my life are very upset that I've deconstructed and very upset that I'm divorcing. Mm-hmm. And, um, I hold very dear the people that say to me, this is courageous. Yep. This is, this is brave. This is, this is your life. And, and you get to decide how to create a meaningful one for yourself. And I'm like, okay, I'm brave. I'm courageous. I'm I yeah, just I like, I was just doing this, like this, what we call it in um the world of therapy, we call it like a compassionate hold mm-hmm. where you sort of grab one arm and then sort of under your arm on the other side. And it's a way to practice embodiment and also sort of reparenting that inner mm-hmm. child, And I was just sort of standing there in the shower the other day, just crying because it's overwhelming. This, Mm -hmm. my life has changed so radically and so rapidly that it's like, oh my gosh, this is a bit like too much all at once. But I just was sort of holding myself and just speaking compassion and and kindness to myself. And it's so incredible that how much that can be a resource. And some of that we pull from the voices in our lives Mm -hmm. and some of that we can give to ourselves.
1: Yeah. So I'm assuming your in-laws are in the church as well, right?
0: Oh, that's a good question. (laughs) So my sister-in-law, who I was best friends with growing up, um, she deconstructed several years ago. She was the first one. Um, (laughs) Yeah, girl. And she's been an incredible source for me throughout this. Um, But she's the only one who's actually like deconstructed. And then, uh, my husband is one of six. Oh, shit. And... What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot of people in the mix. <laughs> yeah. They're all married and, and they all, some of them have kids as well. Um, they are all but one. So his dad and his dad's wife and then one of the siblings are still in the cult. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of the other siblings, so that would be four others, are um still fundamentalist evangelical christians Which but not not, yeah. not in the cult yeah so i mean there's quite a bit of overlap between the it's cult progress, ideology yeah. yeah exactly <laughs> exactly my parents are actually mostly out of the oh, cult i'll say it that yeah. way <laughs> um and actually like watching their transformation has been so healing to me mm-hmm. Um, you know, at the beginning, when I was telling them that I was deconstructing and considering divorce, they were like, Oh my gosh, like, this is the worst case scenario. <laughs> um, like two, like, like horrible things. Cause really in fundamentalist Christianity, or at least in the cult divorce is like catastrophe. Yep, yep. I mean, that is just like hands down worse. it's like divorce or going to hell. Like those are the two things yep. that, that they're scared of. Um, and so, you know, my parents at the beginning, I will say they were, they're kind, compassionate, wonderful people. And so they never like shamed me. They never did any of that, but I could tell that like, this was really scary for them. Um, and the way that they have come around to totally validating my deconstruction experience. And I've been doing a ton of, um, um, like courses, both for therapists and just for non-therapists in terms of religious trauma, like understanding cult recovery and religious trauma. They're very curious about it. They want to know about it themselves. They identify with, with it themselves. Mm -hmm. And, um, they still have like a social obligation once a month with the cult members. But other than that, like they are so much more free and it's like, Oh my gosh! Like to see that my liberation could potentially impact like one other person, and for that person or people to be my own parents is is just the coolest thing ever. But yeah, Yeah. there's a lot of a lot of blowback from a lot of people right now.
1: But honestly, maybe this is just me because I'm a bitch, like I said before. But I'm like. I would find that so satisfying like yeah that's right you hate me that's right
0: i need some of that i need some of that just just like through osmosis like hand me some of that um no i i love that perspective honestly like i don't see that as bitchy i see that as not codependent yeah um and so like seriously props to you (laughs) Um,
1: i am seriously in the cult of therapy i am like brainwashed beyond (laughs) belief whatever my therapist told me as a kid like she deserves millions and millions of dollars cuz there is like zero shame in my body.
0: <laughs> and it's kind of Oh my up. gosh. <laughs> oh, I love that for you. Are you kidding me? To be able to say zero shame in my body? Like hell yeah. That is what yeah. it's about.
1: <laughs> and I think a lot of it has to do with like I had so much trauma growing up. I had religious trauma and mm. family trauma, and now I have fibromyalgia, which is like mm. because of all that, allegedly by my therapist. And I'm just yeah. like, oh, so all you're gonna fuck me up to the point of having pain for the rest of my life? Fuck everybody, fuck everything. I don't give a yeah. Shit.
0: <laughs> own, own that bitch status. You've earned it. That <laughs> yes, that's that is that is really a thing. We we carry it in our bodies, as you know, as you painfully well know. Um, But yeah, this has been truly like a deep dive into codependency recovery for me, which I didn't even really fully know was a thing Mm -hmm. that I had, like I knew what codependency was, but I didn't necessarily think of myself as codependent. But it's really because I was in such an alignment with everyone in my life, like we were all in the in group. I didn't think differently than anyone else. So why would anyone dislike me? Why would anyone withhold esteem from me? Um, But now that I have differentiated so much, of course, there's been a reaction to that. And I now have to reckon with like, Oh, wow. I really wanted people to like me. And I really wanted people to um, understand where I'm coming from and to please people and appease people and there were times in my deconstruction journey at the beginning where I was like I think I'm just gonna like pre- like go back I think I'm just gonna <laughs> yeah. like forget all little bit yep um because this is too Close. much yeah <laughs> <laughs> but really you can't yeah you, you really no can't you can't go back once once you've you know come to certain conclusions there's really no going back which I'm really grateful for I wouldn't want to go back but yeah. yeah, this has been this has been a codependency recovery journey for me that I didn't know I needed, but I, de- I didn't know I wanted, but it definitely needed, so.
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh, I am so thrilled for you, this journey. It's very difficult, but it, at a certain point, it gets to be like, ugh, life is just so much easier. It's oh, so much nicer. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yes. I'm excited yes. for you to find it.
0: Thank you so much, Josie. This is... This is like the 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 journey of my life. Yeah. Um it really feels like this this, you know, I I guess I used to say this is gonna make or break my life and now I really believe that this is going to make my life. And it's gonna um, make your
1: kids life like nobody's yeah. business.
0: Oh yes, like just the thought of being in an environment and creating an environment for myself and my kids that there's no shame. mm -hmm. We're not demonizing you. We're not demonizing sexuality. We're embracing the the humanity in all of us. And that looks so varied and different for everyone. But how amazing is that? Exactly. And so, you know, what fundamentalist religion essentially does is it delegitimizes humanity and and legitimate human experience. Um, And I'm not about that anymore. Amen. Hallelujah. Embracing it all. I love it. Well,
1: do you have anything you want to plug as we end out here? Or anything, any final words, anything at all?
0: Oh, gosh. Well, um, I in terms of therapy i can't really plug that very well because i can only see people in michigan yeah. um but if you are in michigan uh, feel free to to look me up i'm at interpersonal growth counseling i do have a few openings in my schedule right now and i just i just love to work with people who are looking to like restore the, the joy of intimacy and pleasure and releasing that shame from sexuality. And then my coaching page, which is is um, still kind of in the works, but the Instagram is up, is uh, my first name, which is Hallie, H-A-L-L-I. Dot faith, which is my middle name, not my belief system. (laughs) 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 And then uh, coaching. So Hallie.faith.coaching. And I, I'm really just excited to interact with people on that platform about like their experiences about sexual shame and how they feel like purity culture has impacted their lives. And I've already begun to have those conversations and uh, it's so exciting. I'm I'm really excited about it. So thanks for, thanks for having me.
1: So stoked so that you stoked. came and you can absolutely come back whenever you want. <laughs> Thanks so much, attention. Josie. I love repeat of famous, as I call them.
0: <laughs> yes. Awesome. we <laughs> Will do. we Will do. Well,
1: friends, uh, you can find us at Speaking in Church. Uh, you can find me at Josie Takes the World. And and on the podcast page, you'll find merch. You'll find the tip jar. You'll find links to everybody um, that comes on the podcast. I'm trying to make funny reels. I'm not very good at it, but uh, I try and sometimes they come out pretty hilarious so there you go um follow us there and have a good day leave for church um what else well, that's it well stay woke and get woke friends
0: this has been an irreverent media podcast